welcome to Flyers AD here. It is uh, Sunday, January 23, 2022. I think it's Monday by the time all y'all hear this, but uh, that's fine. There was more uh, passion in that intro than the Flyers gave against Buffalo Sabres uh, yesterday, Saturday. Lost again. 11-game losing streak. The, 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 the fucking shit just continues to pile up. Wade Allison came back for a game, got hurt, and uh, not since the uh, heyday of Michael Neuver have I seen somebody quite as injury-prone as uh, as Wade Allison. And uh, it's just too goddamn bad because he's a guy that feels like checks a lot of boxes for the Philadelphia Flyers right now between the, the energy, the passion, the spirit, the offensive ability, uh, just uh, a little bit of everything. It's a sprained MCL, they'll still be out till the break, which I guess isn't that far off, I guess kicks in uh what early next week is their next game and then they have sporadic appearances through the uh what was the olympic break they have a uh, one two three four five six games scattered across uh the three and a half weeks there that would have gone to the olympics so you know it's not the worst case news for allison uh which is good because when i saw the play and his knee kind of tweak and buckle like that i thought oh shit I've seen that before. <laughs> you know, thought we were dealing with an ACL, but it looks more uh, like it's a sprained MCL's official diagnosis. So kind of dodgeable with Allison, but man, the uh, injuries are racking up big time for uh, this guy that uh, just seemingly can't catch a break. Yeah, it's a shame, right? Because as you mentioned, when he is healthy, he's one of those players that has almost instantly become a fan favorite. You know what I mean? Yeah. And... For me, I look at a guy like Allison as kind of like one of those guys who was drafted outside of the first round during the Ron Hextall era in the infamous 2016 draft for Hextall when, aside from Carter Hart, he blew almost every draft selection that he had, including two inside the top 40. And every time he comes out and comes back onto the ice, it's absolutely great to see what he's providing. But it's getting to a certain point now that, albeit not really his fault, you can't really count on him anymore. And you can't expect him to be a constant in your lineup. And it really is a shame because aside from how good of a hockey player he is, he does provide the much needed intangibles that you were just alluding to. But unfortunately, I think it's getting to a point with Wade Allison that you can't really count on him being part of your future. If he's healthy and he's here, great. But beyond that, he's more of a luxury. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. It's just it's insane the injuries that pile up for this guy. And Neuver is the only other guy you can think about. I saw a lot of people say like Sam Moran, but the reality of the situation is Sam Moran's had two injuries in his professional career and tore his ACL twice. But beyond that, he's been relatively healthy. People forget he was an Ironman through juniors in his first, like, three or four years in Lehigh. You know, he had the broken jaw in juniors. He had a minor hip thing, which ultimately led to the season where he tore his ACL. But, I mean, he's fairly healthy other than the two major ones that set him back. And, you know, I see a lot of people talk about the medical staff. And it's something that I, we haven't talked a lot about on this show just because I hate it's one of those things that we're not there, so who the hell am I to, you know, claim malpractice, you know? But uh, I don't think Allison qualifies under this one. I, you know, I, I saw them lump him in, uh, people lump him in with, you know, Ellis and Broussard and Hayes. And the difference is, is those three guys are re-aggravating the same injury over and over and over again. But Allison has at least been something different every time, so it's hard to blame malpractice when it's not the same injury. But... You know, I think it's more just he's made of paper mache and can't stay healthy for more than a few games at a time, which, you know, again, is just too goddamn bad because he's a player that um, <laughs> would, again, check a lot of boxes and, uh, you know, the Flyers just can't have nice things apparently anymore. Well, I, I, I do think it is fair to question how they've handled injuries as a whole. But to your point, it's not like this is, you know, breaking news that Wade Allison is, you know, injury prone. Or even a guy like Ryan Ellis or even Sean Katoria at this point. Like a lot of these guys are becoming injury prone. I think it's more with like the Broussard injury, like coming back twice and instantly being back on the shelf right away. I think we saw that at something similar with Patrick Brown. They were obviously forcing Kevin Hayes to play hurt. Although I feel like they just don't have a choice at this point. Pretty soon they're going to be asking you and me to line up down the middle for this team. <laughs> but yeah, I don't really 
want to equate uh, Allison in the same way as all the other injuries right now. Because, you know, going back to almost his draft year, this guy's always been on the shelf. Like, you've tracked him for a while here. Has there ever been a season where he's stayed completely healthy? Not to my knowledge. Maybe very early on in his college career. Maybe his freshman year. But I think he's dealt with something, <laughs> at least one thing every year since. And... You know, it's, uh, that's not great. And, and I, again, I think it's more on the player than it is the medical staff. We can question the medical staff about Ellis, Broussard, and Hayes because they keep coming back and keep getting hurt with the same thing. But, but you know, I think it's a, it's hard to put that same level on uh, on Allison. Just given the injuries are varying, that's more the player just can't stay healthy um, than it is, you know, medical malpractice. So it is too bad. It's a... Uh, too bad, but, you know, I hope that he can come back at some point. Maybe it's best just to shut this guy down for the fucking year and let him do his thing. But, I mean, they were all free things. You know, the the one during the rookie game, you know, was just a, you know, a crash along the boards and he fell down and sprained his ankle. There was the one he returned from the returned from the ankle injury in early December with Lehigh. And then he threw a check in a game, not even a hard one, just kind of bumped into somebody and was out with a fucked up arm. You know, and he comes back and... There were two separate plays last night that looked like he completely distorted himself. He bumped into the Ed Boards once, which didn't look good. And there was the one where he was just skating. He was just going back to the fucking wing. And his knee, you know, his left leg turned in and buckled. And, God, it's just it's not even like he's doing anything crazy. Like, that, that, that to me is where I really lose hope uh, for the injuries. Because, I mean, that's not even incidental contact. That's just his, you know, skating like a baby giraffe. So, yeah, not good. Not good at all. And you look at this injury list now and, you know, Hayes and Farabee and Broussard, Thompson, Brown, like Brian Ellis, Sam Moray, Jean Couturier. Like, this is getting to a point where, like, I don't know if we've ever even seen this, like, amount of injuries before on this team. And look, I'm not making excuses here, obviously, but do you think that there is something to be said about all the missing players that are out right now and have been out for this season. Yeah, it's been a long time since you've seen the Flyers affect. It was the last time they even came close to anything like this was the year where Kent Huskins and Curtis Foster were their top defensemen. Um, was that 12, 2012, 13, something like that? When they burned through, you know, <laughs> two dozen different defensemen or whatever the number ended up being, something ridiculous. You know, here's the thing, and, and I've seen this thrown out a lot, a lot of – you know, well, it's just the injuries mounting up. And, like, it is. It, like, it absolutely is. When both of your top-line centers have missed essentially the entire season, you're missing your top defenseman, you're missing, you know, your valuable depth guy in Derek Broussard, who I think has been very good when he's healthy. You know, Sam Moran is probably better than, you know, half the goofballs you got in the blue line right now. Like, you're missing some really key players here. But I think at the same time, you look at the players that are missing and you go, well, Sean Couturier is 29 years old and slow as a fucking cruise ship and isn't overly amazing. And Kevin Hayes isn't overly amazing. And, you know, Ellis is very good, but he's not, you know, I don't think he's a legitimate game changer on his own. And missing Farabee sucks, but, you know, Broussard, how, many, how much difference can Broussard and Thompson make in a lineup? So I think... They would be a better team if they were completely healthy. Yes, absolutely. But I don't think that's the difference between them being where they are now and being in a top three in a Metro. I think it's the difference of them being where they are now and maybe more in a wild card hunt. You know, maybe more of a buyer's market at a trade deadline versus a seller. But at the same time, I, I, I find it hard to believe that this team would look super substantially different had they be healthy right now. That's where I'm at. Like, I feel as though that if they have, were fully healthy, they would be right in the thick of the wild card race. Yeah. Maybe, like, in the Pittsburgh point. But then, again, it brings you back to, is that where the expectation is? And, like, I thought that this team would be kind of like where the Rangers are. Like, I thought them and the Rangers would have been on par with one another, assuming health, as you just brought up. But it's pretty clear that, this team is so far off, and I think that what the injuries have exposed is that a lot of these depth guys just aren't nearly as good as we thought. 
And I think that's the biggest issue here. Like, you have Giroux and Atkinson, who right now are the healthy guys, I feel like, pulling their weight and then some. You could kind of uh, group Scott Lawton into that mix as well. But you look at a guy like JVR, especially after the way that he played last year. He is just such a absolute misfit on this team. And I believe Anthony Sanfilippo called him a pariah when he was on our show. Oscar Limblom, I know he scored more six goals under Mike Yo, but I just feel like he, more times than not, more shifts than not, more games than not, he's just absolutely irrelevant out there, and he doesn't really have a role. Morgan Frost, we've beat that to death, and then some at this point, that he just really has not been able to carve out an actual role on this team, whether that be as a second line right wing or left wing or a third line center or what have you. And it just feels like what these injuries have done is exposed the lack of depth in this organization. You could look at the defense as well, but you know, I, we kind of touched on this last show. I don't think that you like, you would have been shocked to figure out that this defense wouldn't have looked too great. Had you known Ryan Ellis would be a non-factor all season long, but again, you're starting to see like, okay, like now it's pretty much confirmed that Provrov isn't an elite D and Yandel is a pile of trash. And Morgan Frost, while he is good, he isn't a game breaker or a game changer that can single-handedly turn this team around. So while the injuries have definitely played a factor here, I think more so than anything else, they've exposed the lack of depth on this team and really kind of exposed some players for not being that good. Yeah. The, you know, the next man up mentality has not worked, um, which was supposed to be, you know, kind of the thing they were flaunting this year was, you know, how deep they were. And, you know, Frost has been borderline worthless, all things considered. You know, (laughs) the team has held him down more than I think he's failing on his own right now. But, you know, the Lindblom's just never refound his level, and, you know, Konechny is clearly not a top liner at this point, and James Van Riemsdyk, no surprise here, is washed up. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the, the blue line there, you know, I think uh, earlier in the year, especially, you know, training camp and the first few games there, I really did like Yandel and Braun together. And I think had they been a pair all season long, they probably would have been much better, but, you know, when you have to called Braun up to play with Provorov all season and Yandel's all of a sudden playing with Kevin Connaughton and Nick Sealer. You know, it's not doing him any favors and that struggles and it's just... Uh, I think Lawton has done very well, all things considered, in the role. You know, he's been playing essentially top six center minutes for the last three or four weeks now. Um, you know, which is roles that he's never really played before. And I think he's doing the best he can, all things considered, but, you know, it's just not where he flourishes. And you just didn't have enough overall talent going into this team. You you don't really have a top line. You never did really have a top line. You just have three lines worth of players that can play in the top six and aren't really defined stars. And, you know, between that and, you know, the guys like Nate Thompson and Derek Broussard who were providing that, you know, legitimate depth that they brought in have been out for most of the season as well. That doesn't help either to a point where you're relying on guys like Gary fucking Mayhew of all people to come in and Max Willman, you know, guys that are just perennial AHLers to come in and, and try and carry the load here. So it's just, it's been a complete mess from top to bottom in terms of trying to get the most out of this lineup on any given night. And the other part of that is, is like, you're also starting to realize that maybe the best players aren't good enough as well. Yeah. Like, a guy like, and again, Travis Konegny, like, I'm not as down on him as you are, but he's a guy that you would have really hoped would flourish in the opportunity to really become one of the catalysts for this team. Like, a guy who could be like, okay, you know, this is my what is it, six years in the NHL or so? A guy who could, you know, show up and, like, drag up the play of a Morgan Frost or an Oscar Lindblom, and he has at times. At times, Travis Konechny has been good, but it's just, like, he's just another 50-55 to point winger who could probably score 60-65 to if he's playing on the right line with the right people. And like I always say, that's okay, but it's just that they need more. 
they have to get something else. They need someone who could be a catalyst all on his own. And you have Giroux, but how long is that going to last? Like, maybe in two months from now, he's not even here. I would bank that that's more probable than not at this point. And then once Giroux's gone, then what do you do? And I think that's kind of why this feels like almost rock bottom, because you've brought it up so many times that under Ron Hextall, you had the carrot. You had that everlasting light at the end of the tunnel of all these prospects who are going to show up. You know, two, three years ago at this time, we were hearing things like Morgan Frost was Claude Giroux Jr. or German Rubsov was going to be a good second-line center. Misha Vorobia banged down the door and claimed the spot as 3C. You know, Joel Farabee was very good, and he is very good, but I mean in the sense that people were trying to forecast him to be like almost a point-per-game winger. And now that all these players are here and that a lot of the pre-existing core isn't that good, it's painted a very bleak picture because all the guys are here. There's nobody left in the system. And you could bring up a guy like Forster or even York who has just broken onto the scene. And I'll reiterate, I think that Brent Flair has done a fantastic job at drafting as opposed to his predecessor. I believe Chris Pryor was the one who headed drafting back then. Yeah. And so the the jury is still out in a lot of ways on these guys, like a Den Y.A., Forster, Wisdom, all that. But again, are any of these guys going to be game breakers? I don't think so. Like their highest ranking center prospect at this point probably is Den Y.A., a guy who went in the fifth round. Forster, I would assume, is a guy that will probably carve out a role as a top six winger eventually. But what is he going to be? Another, you know, 25 goal, 55 point winger? They need someone else at this point. And I think that's why a lot of people are so demoralized, just because it's so much redundancy throughout the organization. Yeah, there, there's there's nobody left. And, you know, even if you call up York and Zamula both and they are, play very well, you know, it's going to be great. But are either one of those guys alone or even together enough to turn this around? And the answer is no. You know, Forrester, who I guess is working back, he's been in Philly skating, um, you know, working his way back from his injury, his shoulder injury earlier. Um, you know, even if he's ready to go by next season, I really do like Forrester as a prospect. I think he's a lot of, a lot of uh, talent and potential, but, you know, I, I think he needs legitimate players to play with to drag the most out of him, and you just don't have that anymore. German Rubsov and Shushko and Strom and Ratcliffe and, you know, even the guys that are up, you know, Connor Bunneman and Mayhew and Willman and you know, just all this shit, you know, that, those, those that's, God, like, they're, they're not getting you anywhere. And, you know, I think Giroux, man, if they, if and when they do trade him, um, I think we may legitimately hit rock bottom then because he's the only guy left that like has any ounce of dynamic offense to his game whatsoever. I think Atkinson has been very good, but I think he's just pretty much a straight up goal scorer versus being able to uh, diversify his play. Uh, when Giroux's gone, you know, this offense is going to dry up even worse than it already is. And we're going to enter a real dark day for a little while. Um, which is uh, which is not going to be fun, but yeah, I mean, even Konechny has been playing better lately. He's found some chemistry with Lawton and Lindblom, and like even then, he's not really producing. He may be a little bit more active. He'll rack up, uh, you know, an assist here and there, but he's still got two goals in twenty four games. That's fucking pathetic, you know. And the few assists that are you know piling up, he's got two assists in the last uh, six games. <laughs> like that's nothing, you know. So. Even even guys like that that are supposed to step up, it's clear that, you know, his production that he has racked up in the past was just a beneficiary of lining up alongside Giroux and Couturier, who are having phenomenal seasons at that point, and nothing more. Where are you at with Cam Atkinson? Is he a guy that you would see as more as a part of the solution, or would you try and flip him for assets? I would keep Atkinson as one of the mainstays during a rebuild because he seems like a genuine good guy and whether his play fluctuates or not you know I, i'm sure he won't be you know doing this in the next three or four years whenever the hell his contract ends um see what he was uh he's got up in uh 25 so he's got three years left beyond this year i would keep him i would keep him as kind of the pillar um if you're tearing down you need to keep some veteran guys around otherwise you turn into you know the arizona coyotes and edmonton oilers and whatnot 
um, and just your your rebuild doesn't you know grow any further because they don't have the you know necessary leaders to guide their young players. So Atkinson would be a guy that I would keep. Atkinson and Ellis would probably be the two guys uh, of veteran status on this team right now that have been here for more than you know <laughs> a couple months that I would uh, that I would keep. So yes, I, I really do think Atkinson is probably one of the guys you want to leave around in the organization. Hey, listen, if somebody wants to come around and pay up for him. I guess I would consider it, but I think for the time being, I would I would leave him go. I think Ellis Atkinson, probably Scott Lawton, I guess, but he's kind of lingered around as well. But I felt like if you were going to trade him, the prime opportunity would have been last year in yeah. April. And then I guess Kevin Hayes, just because, well, it's twofold. Yeah. One, you brought in a bunch of his best friends, and two, he has pretty much an unmovable contract. <laughs> you don't have much of a choice, yeah. So those are, like, I think that those are, and I and I guess, like, Sean Couturier, like, I can't imagine that they move him. Like, I don't he's... think he's going anywhere, but... You know, I, I think I don't think he's going anywhere just because nobody's going with that contract. But like, I think he's just as big a problem right now as anybody else because he represents the old team. He's been here for fucking ever now. You know, I think he's he's just as responsible for this shitty state of the team as Giroux is, and as you know, some of these other longstanding guys are. So, as much as his contract's probably immovable, like he would be pretty high on the priority list to dump. Um, which is, is too bad because they really, uh, <laughs> you know, they screwed the pooch signing this guy long term. Well, I, I had like floated out like an idea the other day saying like, if you actually found like a legitimate one C and you were able to slide Couturier down as the two C and manage his workload and not have to pit him against, you know, the other team's best forwards while simultaneously leading the charge as the number one offensive line. Do you think it would do a lot of good in the way of him aging better and maybe staying at a better competitive level for a longer period? You can do things to mask Sean Couturier's aging. Absolutely. You can bump him down to the second line. Hell, he bump him even down to the third line and just tell him to play defense and focus on the defensive side of his game. You can do that, absolutely. And quite frankly, it's something they probably should have done by now. But, you know, that would be the best way to get the most out of Couturier is take him away from top, you know, top line minutes, top center minutes, and put him more in middle six minutes. And it's going to make the contract look even uglier because you're paying your second or third liner fucking $8 million to do nothing. But it would be the only way to squeeze the most out of Couturier given the situation that they're in with him. Because he's a guy that, and even at his cap hit, like, could we agree that when he's healthy and playing at his best, he would be a very, very good second-line center? On a good day, yeah. Yeah, so on a good day, assuming health. I would be okay paying $7.75 million for him as a second-line center if he's playing healthy. And he's maximized in that role. Because I think we're starting to see more and more that teams invest a lot of money down the middle and, like, you know, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. They pay their two top two centers a combined $22.6 million. You look at, I believe, the, um, well, the Edmonton Oilers, obviously, McDavid and Dreisaitl. You look at the uh, the Florida Panthers with Barkov, and I believe Reinhardt's playing second-line center. It might be Sam Bennett. I'm not sure. But both those guys make upwards of six, if I'm not mistaken. So it could work. Because I don't think the Flyers are going to be in the market to, you know, pick up a $10 million player. Like, you only draft those types of guys. Yeah. So even if they were to find a 1C, I don't think it would be more than an 8 to $9 million player. So even if you have Hayes as the most expensive 3C in the world, I wouldn't mind paying a combined, you know, $25 million you know, in in that range, twenty three to twenty five million dollars in your top three centermen. It may be slightly overpaying, let's say Katori by a couple hundred thousand and Kator and Hayes by a million or two, but at least you would solidify it and I think you get the best out of Katori and Hayes and it would cause a trickle down effect. The problem here is is where are you going to find that guy? Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes back to is that where are you going to find the guy who can come in and be someone who ranks above 
Sean Couturier? Where are you going to find that available centerman that pushes Sean Couturier down to the 2C? Because I remember when he signed the extension, a source inside the Flyers organization said, when do top-line centers ever become available? That's why they locked him in on this contract. And I could pose the same question to you and flip it. Like, where are they going to find a number one center that's better than Sean Katori available? Like, obviously, Tomas Hurdle's the easy name out there because he's a pending unrestricted free agent. But as we've mentioned, is he going to be better than Sean Couturier in a year or two from now? Are you going to pay him $9 million a year over a seven-year term to outbid the rest of the other teams in free agency? We know how free agency works. You know, there's a reason why John Tavares is making $11 million a year. So I think that there is a scenario where you could find you know, that centerman to, you know, slot Katori as a 2C and Hayes as a 3C and be okay paying them all a combined 23 to $25 million. The problem is, where are you going to find that guy? Well, that guy was just available a few months ago by the name of Jack fucking Eichel that they passed up on. Could have went after him, but uh, nope. He would have fit the bill of pretty much everything they need. I mean, those guys don't come available every day. You draft them, and then they stay with their team for a majority of their careers unless they're unhappy and leave like Jack Eichel. You know, they're not going to come out. And Hurdle, like, fuck. You know, you can sign him. I don't think it's going to be enough. You know, he's, what, isn't he 29 or 30 years old as well? Like, how much time can you squeeze out of that guy at this point? You know, the, the you need a guy who's in their early to mid-20s, who can come in and carry a team by himself, and that was Jack Eichel. And they absolutely screwed the pooch not going after and getting him. We can't give up assets for Jack Eichel. Like, Jack Eichel is everything this fucking team needs. And they didn't do it. So, you know, they don't pick him available every day, but you just passed on a golden opportunity to go out and get one. So, I don't have a lot of sympathy for them in that situation. You know what? I was kind of advocating for not going after Jack Eichel for a while, but I was completely wrong. Like you said, this is what this team needs. And the thing is, is that there are always, like, not always, that's not the right term, but there have been multiple top six, forget top line, there have been multiple top six centers that have moved in recent years. Like Reinhardt and Bennett, or if not both, if you look at the Florida Panthers, they went and got both. Like, those were massive missed opportunities. And I tried to justify them going down the road to fix the defense. And to be honest, you can't really, really blame them. But it's just like so telling that they've been not able to solve this 3C. Like forget an Eichel, forget an O'Reilly who are number one centers, if not elite centers in the NHL. Like how have you not been able to go get a Jean-Gabriel Pajot? or Sam Bennett, or Sam Reinhardt. And as much as I don't put this all at the feet of Chuck Fletcher, because I do think he jumped on a moving derailed train here in December of 2018, but how has he not been able to solidify that 3C slot? It's a question I feel like we've been asking for the better part of a decade at this point. When the hell did Shen leave? 2017? Like, it's basically it. I think it was the last time they had enough players to carve out three centers on their fucking team and they just can't for whatever reason figure it out and i was all aboard the sam reinhardt train this year i was driving that goddamn bus and they didn't do it and i was baffled <laughs> sat here and said you had a great summer but you didn't address your 3c you know it's not like couturier and hayes are you know, even when healthy, they're completely untouchable options as one and two. Like, you probably should have somebody working their way up to to eventually dethrone them and push them down the lineup. And, you know, the more optimistic fans said, well, it's going to be Morgan Frost, Daniel. Well, how the fuck is that turning out for? I mean, I guess he's 3C right now, but it's just because he fucking completely failed as a regular player versus the fact that he's good enough to play there. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea how... You went into this season, especially when he made all these moves. It's not like he didn't do anything. It's not like he ignored everything and just 3C got left by the wayside. It's he addressed everything other than 3C, which is a clearly gaping hole that you... I, I don't know. I have no idea why he ignored. I would have been 
over the moon if they got Sam Reinhardt, and he could have been able to swap in and out here as needed, whether a 2C or a winger or whatever. You could use him. Drop Hayes down to 3C. You know, that's what you need to do, and they didn't do it. And now you're paying for it dearly because both Hayes and Couturier are fucking old and broken down, and neither one of them are in the lineup, and you're rolling with... Who the hell is their top-line center right now? I guess it's Giroux. He moved back to center. Giroux, yeah. Lawton, and what, Frost are your top three right now? Woo-hoo! How's that working out for you? If I had to guess, is that they were banking on one of Frost or Patrick to really break through sometime over the last 12 months. And while I've beat the drum since the 2020 trade deadline when I won Jean-Gabriel Pajot, I could l- at least understand why they didn't want to invest long-term into one of like another 3C, like a J.G. Pacho who subsequently got signed to, I think, a six-year contract extension by the New York Islanders as soon as they traded for him. But as soon as you saw the way that last year went with Nolan Patrick, and I know Morgan Frost got hurt, but even with him, I don't know how they have not made this a big priority. And like I said, I tried to give them the benefit of the doubt. They went out and got Derek Broussard as kind of a stopgap, But again, now you're left with, you know, with your dick in your hands, because here's the thing. Derek Broussard was never a long term solution. And I think it was always the plan for him to bridge the gap to Morgan Frost. And look, Morgan Frost, like, I don't want to, you know, bury the guy or dogpile on him. But the problem is, is that it's getting to a point with him where he's kind of can't be considered part of the solution either. Kind of just like a luxury. Like if he hits great and if he doesn't, well then you move on. And it sucks to say, because I do feel like he's a guy who has talent and he gets caught in his head a bit. And I am rooting for him because he does seem like a genuinely like really good dude and everything. But it's getting to the point with Morgan Frost is that by him being around, and just being present, it's almost like holding them back from doing what is necessary. Because there's always this illusion that he's going to break out sometime in the near future and finally claim that middle six center position that they've been looking for since they traded Braden Shen, as you alluded to. But it feels like maybe now they're finally starting to realize that we're going to have to go out and get another center because this guy, if he's going to play in our top six or even our top nine, he's probably going to be a winger. Yeah. And (laughs) I don't know. I think maybe if there's one benefit of this season, it's that they'll realize that Frost isn't the guy and they can, you know, reassess next year and maybe finally pursue a, uh, a, a legitimate center. Um, you know, look for help down the line anyway, make it a priority. I would assume if they're going to rebuild anyway, finding a, you know, a young, uh, young up and coming center is probably pretty high on the priority list anyway. But yeah, if anything, it's, you know, if Frost is going to succeed, it's going to be in the wing. I don't think this guy's legitimate center option. I don't think he should have ever really been considered a center option. And I feel like I've talked about this for years with this team. Like the fact that he never got any time on the wings in Lehigh Valley in, in, you know, in his early Flyers days last year and, or uh, two years ago, rather, like, I don't know. I was always baffled that they never gave him that time, but yeah, I think it's pretty clear now that, uh, the Flyers really need to, to add a, a couple bonafide centers, but it's too little too late. I think to salvage his team, I think now you got to start looking to the future and you got to go into these next few drafts with the priority of finding, at least one, if not two, you know, centers that you can build around for the next 10 years because it's clear you've got no help here anymore. You're talking about the center depth, right? Yes. You, it's actually crazy, man. Like, I remember when they had, like, Briere and Richards and Carter, then Giroux came up, and now it's like they're searching for guys. Like, when is, I guess, Scott Lawton, he's the last time they drafted a centerman that actually broke into the NHL and stuck in a somewhat significant role. And even that was, you know, he was drafted in 2012 and didn't really stick around to what, 2016, something like that. Like Today's yeah. third liner at best. I mean, you guess he's a second liner right now. So way to go, Scott Lawton. It took you 10 years, but you finally cracked the top six. But uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so frustrating yeah. because I always keep, thinking back to other teams 
who have always been so strong down the middle when they meet make deep playoff runs. And we saw that with Vegas. We saw Vegas lose year after year and not be able to get over the hump because of their lack of center depth. And what did they do? They went out and they traded for the best centerman on the on the um, on the market in Jack Eichel. And again, I don't think Chuck Fletcher is stupid here, but do you think it's because of that interior hope that a Morgan Frost could break through? Like, if you had to hypothesize it, what would you go with? I don't know why they didn't do it. I have no idea. I guess it was probably Frost. But, like, I, I can't even, like, what other reason would it be other than just sheer negligence? I mean, you don't even have... You know, who are they waiting for? Fucking German Rubsov? You know, like, Frost is the only guy that was even on the AHL roster that could come in and threaten for a legitimate center spot. And it was pretty, well, should have been fucking pretty clear to anybody that actually watches this guy that that wasn't, you know, the, the likelihood of that happening was pretty slim. So, I, I don't know. It's, I, I, I'm going to blame it on Morgan Frost because I just hope it's not the sheer negligence of, of Chuck Fletcher, but I don't know what the hell you were expecting. And and that's the thing is they went in with Kevin Hayes injured. They knew Kevin Hayes was going to miss time this year. You know, he had one surgery at that point. Then he tried to come back and got fucked up for the second time. But, like, they knew he wasn't going to be healthy and they didn't even bother to address it. They thought Derek Broussard and Nate Thompson were going to be enough. It's the same fucking problem they had at the 2020 trade deadline. It's bringing a bunch of bums to fill a hole, you know, to fill the third-line center hole, when in reality you need a legitimate guy down there. You need help down the middle, and they just completely ignored it. So, I don't know. I don't know if just if it's Fletcher just refusing to spend more money down the middle, which I find hard to believe because he dumped fucking 14-some million dollars, 15 million dollars into Hayes and Couturier, but for whatever reason, he just does not want to address that 3C properly. And even a guy like this summer that was available was Nick Benino, and I know for salary reasons, but then that comes back to the whole Scott Lawton extension. Like, we know that Scott Lawton isn't really a center unless he's playing on the fourth line. Like, he's okay in spot work duty, but he's only really been an effective top nine player when he's played left wing, most notably when he was playing with Konechny and Kevin Hayes before the lockout and in the uh, round robin. And that's why I never understood why they gave him that kind of money. And then you have a guy like Oscar Limblom making $3 million to play bottom six wing at this point. And I guess this kind of transitioned to the whole Fletcher discussion because now the angry mob has come for Chuck Fletcher. That's essentially what's going on here because, you know, AV turned out not to be the boogeyman. So it's <laughs> next man up in the firing squad. Yep. So I think you guys touched on it a bit on Frequent Flyer last night. Like, where are you at with the whole management group? It's, uh, it's tough. You know, I don't exactly have a lot of sympathy for Chuck Fletcher or Mike Yao or anybody within the Flyers organization play or front office, um, you know, members. I, I don't really care who stays or goes at this point just because my interest level is so low. But I also don't think getting rid of Fletcher without a legitimate option to fill his shoes makes any sense. Um, you know, there's all the talks of, you know, Danny Briere or Eric Tolsky and, you know, those are guys that are fine in certain roles, but, you know, do you want a rookie GM to come in and make those moves? You know, this is a very tumultuous time for the Flyers. There's a lot of surgery that needs to be done here, regardless of what direction they choose. Do you try and risk it with a young guy who's, you know, supposedly new and innovative, or do you keep Fletcher around and try and let him guide it through because he's here? My biggest fear through all of this is if you fire Fletcher, whoever comes in, assumingly that means Yao and his band of fucking misfits are gone too, right? So you get a clean (laughs) slate. You gotta make that a shirt. (laughs) Yao and the band of misfits. (laughs) So you, you get rid of them, and it's a clean slate. However, that means that you have to hire a GM and a coach in the same summer. And the thing that worries me more than anything with that is if you fire a GM and coach in the same summer, not only does that waste, you know, a month or two of your time, which takes you through the draft and free agency, but that means that they could come in and go, well, we need to, we need to assess what's going on here. 
you know, and you waste a full another year of doing nothing while the front office and new coaching staff realizes just how bad this team is. Like, that's my worst case scenario. At least with Chuck Fletcher here, you have the built-in, you know, you have somebody that's here, you have a guy that knows what this team is, knows what he's doing, that for the most part I trust at this time to, to make the right move. So... I get it. Everyone's angry at Fletcher for whatever reason. They think firing him is going to fucking fix anything on the on ice product, which I think is hilarious. But I, I, I just don't. I don't think right now the pros and cons of firing him lean too heavy in the fire side. I, I think they have to keep him at least in some form or fashion. If he wants to step back and be the president, and they hire somebody as GM, if he wants to be the GM and they hire somebody as president, great. I'd be all for it. I think they need more voices in the front office, but. As far as just getting rid of Fletcher and replacing him with Briere straight up, I don't think that's a good idea. Well, like, I'll touch on the Briere thing. Like, I've been kind of doing a lot of digging on that the last few weeks, and I don't really get the sense that Briere would be, like, the succession plan for Chuck Fletcher. My understanding is, is that Danny Briere's been working a lot with current management. Like, he's been under kind of, like, the learning tree from them. Like, Danny Breer, he's only 44 years old. Like, he's not this guy who's been in management for a decade and is chomping at the bit here. Like, yes, he was in right in the mix of the uh, Montreal Canadiens GM role. But here's the thing. That is not the same situation for two reasons. Number one, Jeff Gordon is running the show there. Or here, rather. I live in Montreal. Jeff Gordon is the executive vice president of Hockey Ops. And for all intents and purposes... If it wasn't for the whole language thing, he probably would be the GM himself. And number two, again, the language thing. Danny Briere is from Quebec. He's played for the Canadians. He's very well respected in Quebec and in Montreal. So there was kind of like a whole, I guess, like sentimental part to that. I don't think Danny Briere is a guy that, you know, teams across the NHL are coveting to, you know, scramble to hire him as their next general manager. Have you heard him in the mix to become the Blackhawks GM? Have you heard him in the mix to become the Canucks GM? Have you heard him in the mix to become the Anaheim GM? Like, Danny Briere is still a very green guy as an executive at the NHL level. I think he's a very bright guy, and I can tell you that the Flyers' upper brass think very highly of him. And... If I was a betting man, I would say that his role would be officially elevated between now and next year's training camp, that he will get an official title in the Flyers front office in some capacity. But do I think that, you know, canning Chuck Fletcher and by extension Brent Flair, because they do kind of go hand in hand and putting Danny Breer in place is the right call? No, I don't. Because at that point, not only would he be probably overwhelmed, who would be his assistant GM? He has no ties into other teams' front office. He's never worked full-time in an NHL front office. He doesn't have any relationships with anyone. So then if Danny Briere gets put in place as GM, guess who's hiring the assistant general manager? Dave Scott, because he's the next man yeah, up. Yeah. At least with Chuck Fletcher. And look, this is not me saying that Chuck Fletcher is the God's gift to general managers. I think he's a very average gm that's what he is to me but he is at least a, a stabilizing presence in that front office and maybe i'm exaggerating that a bit but at least he could kind of be the buffer between scott and the rest of the hockey ops kind of try and convince him of something that's going on or try and give him some inkling of a clue as to where they have to take this thing but the other thing with fletcher is that like i don't think he's done a, a magnificent job but I also look at what he's been tasked with doing, and I don't know what else he could have done. Like, the only... I don't know, in a realistic world, what else he could have done to make this team competitive. Like, getting a 3C, uh, absolutely. That would have gone a long way. But with the injuries that have gone on, and the declines of some of the players that were already here, most notably, like, JVR, and what happened with Limblom, and Konechny being so inconsistent and all these other guys not being as good as they thought, how can you actually take a step forward without maybe taking a step back in the meantime? And everybody now seems to be screaming in unisons from the rooftops that they want a rebuild. But I don't think that 
Chuck Fletcher's the guy holding them back from a rebuild. No. I think it's the upper management yep. holding them back from the rebuild. You know, I just talked to a source earlier today well, before we got on and started recording this, that they still are, haven't decided to put Ristolainen on the market, even though teams have inquired about him. For that to be happening, that means that they are still... That means that they still are <sighs> holding out some form of hope that they are going to make this team competitive. Because if you weren't, you could bet your bottom dollar that Rosman's wrist line would be generating a ton of interest. So look, all I'm saying here is that I'm not going to like award Chuck Fletcher executive of the year, but I don't know what another guy, specifically a green NHL executive in Danny Breer, would do any differently as long as Dave Scott is the final guy making the calls here. Yeah, and that's the thing as well, is how much of this blood is on Fletcher's hands versus how much of this is on Dave Scott's hands. And, you know, I think Fletcher's taking the bullet, but I don't think it's necessarily his fault. Um, You know, there's some blame there, but, you know, you look at what he did last year, and it's everything... More or less everything that it could have reasonably done, given the financial constraints and whatnot, and and just the time he had to do it. I, I just don't think, especially like Briere, if you just if you fire Fletcher and just throw Briere in there, what kind of chance does this guy have to run a team without Dave Scott breathing down his neck? You know, you would need you need a president of hockey ops. You need whatever the fuck Dean Lombardi's role is. Fill that with somebody who's actually doing something like. You, something, you know, you need more voices in there. You need more veteran voices in there. And I would assume Breer gets promoted within the near future as well. I would assume he's within the Flyers front office um, probably, you know, sometime between now and next season just because there clearly is some interest for the guy out there. And if you're grooming him in the role, you got to start getting him ready sooner or later. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it, I'm not concerned about Fletcher as much as I am above him. And, uh, you know. I guess we'll have to wait and see what ultimately happens here. I don't know if anything is going to surprise me from the front office-wise or not. I could see both Fletcher and Yao coming back next year, and I could see neither one of them coming back. And I don't I don't think anything is going to be overly surprising yet. Maybe once, the, you know, as the year gets a little further on here and, you know, rumors start spilling out, we'll, we'll hear a little bit more of the direction they're planning on going in. But for the time being, like, I'm not sure anything really surprises me in terms of what they do or do not do with the front office anymore. Do you think that you could, because there's been, I've heard rumblings that like Clark has tried to get more involved and because of, we obviously know how (laughs) pissed off he is. Like, I know everyone kind of gets resistant to that thought, but do you think like Clark and maybe Homer getting involved again would be good or bad at this point? Right now, I think it's good. I don't think it's good long term. I don't think they should get their grubby mitts on, you know, the trade phone again or anything. But coming in and just maybe teaching Dave Scott that, you know, you can make trades and you can do things and sign free agents and get a little more creative and not be afraid to step in. Like, that's the kind of guy. And I don't know if it was on this show, if we can fly where we talk about, you know, Chris Pronger being, you know, somebody like him. I think it's Mike's thing um, to come in and, and kind of be, you know, the president of hockey ops. Like, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world having Clark and Holmgren come in, at least for the short term, and play the role of president or vice president or whatever, you know, you want to consider them, but have them kind of mentor Dave Scott on how to be a little more free when you're, you know, teach him, teach him things, teach him how to build, teach him how to get creative. Like, I think that's what he's missing right now. I think he needs those kind of voices, people that have been there, done that, but are also relevant to the flyers to kind of come in and be that buffer. Um, so I would not, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how old either one of them are off the top of my head. I don't know how much interest they would have, but I think even if it's just for a year or two, I think it would be beneficial to have something like that, you know, to come in and, uh, help, help kind of write the front office of the organization. I, I think anybody coming in helping, quite frankly, would go a long way at this point. Because, you know, you've obviously had people say things like, well, how good was it when those guys were running the ship? And Pretty they goddamn back- good, actually, with the benefit of hindsight. Well, you know what? Because it always comes back to, well, they didn't win a cup. That's what a lot of people say. They made the playoffs. It's a good start. 
But it's the same argument as when I use like San Jose Sharks as an example from let's say the twenty or the two thousand oh five the two thousand five Jesus Christ lockout all the way to two thousand eighteen give or take. They never won a cup, but it was like they were always consistently one of the best teams in the NHL. And I've often said like is Doug Wilson not a good GM because he just never won a cup? Is Dave Poyle not a good GM because he's never won a cup? Like, you could make the case that between 05 and 2018, San Jose was a more successful organization than the Carolina Hurricanes. But the Carolina Hurricanes won a Stanley Cup, but then never made the playoffs until 2019 or whatever it was. Now, obviously, the Stanley Cup is the goal, so I could understand that argument. But I don't think it's fair to say that Clark and Homer weren't good general managers because neither of them won a Stanley Cup. Because you can look at it, at it in a lot of ways. From a business standpoint, like if you were Ed Snyder in the years that Clark and Holmgren were running the show, I think you would have been pretty damn happy because there was a ton of interest in your product. The building was packed each and every night. You were like, if you didn't win at least one playoff round, the, the season was looked at as like a failure. And now you're trying to say that what we're going through right now and have been for the last decade is the same just because the outcome of not winning a cup has been similar? I don't know. I, I It's a weird way to look at it. I guess I could kind of understand, but I would not ever draw parallels between the Hextall-Fletcher era to the Holmgren-Clark eras. No. And, <clears throat> you know, times were different back then, especially for Clark, but... You know, I, I, I do think there's something to be said about even just fucking getting a team to the goddamn playoffs these days, you know, and, and something somewhere got disconnected and it basically all started with the Hextall era, you know, and there were a lot of failures <laughs> all around in that one. But, um, you know, I would not be opposed to it. Like I said, I have no, I don't know if that's feasible these days or not, but it's the kind of thing that needs to happen. Even if it's not Clark or Holmgren, like somebody with some kind of experience, like legitimately to come in and be president or to come in and be the buffer between Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher or Dave Scott and Danny Breer or whoever the fuck, you know, kind of let the GM do the GM thing and let somebody else deal with Dave Scott kind of indirectly, you know, play the messenger between the two. I think that regardless of who is here or who is not here, that's one thing that really needs to happen in the short term, because I think that's the way you find the most success is kind of finding the biggest barrier you can between between Dave Scott and, you know, the day-to-day -day hockey operations of the team. Who would be your most realistic option to fill that type of role? Oh, jeez. I had to put me on the spot. Um, I don't know. Is, is, I don't think Jim Rutherford is available. Is he? I think he's in Vancouver these days. Yeah, president of Vancouver, hmm. like... That, that's the other part about this is like big time executives like they don't float around all that often not usually no and especially with the way the nhl is going right now that you more and more teams are going with like the kind of like management team approach as opposed to one guy ruling with an iron fist yeah like you well we see it in montreal and i thought originally it was just because of the language thing but maybe it does have something to do with the fact that you have a guy like overseeing the hockey ops and then one guy actually as the gm we're seeing in vancouver now that rutherford is the president and they are going to name another general manager we've seen in toronto with shanahan and dubis in boston with neely and don sweeney so, like, maybe that's the avenue they do go down. But at which point are they going to get rid of Chuck Fletcher? Like, to me, it seems that Fletcher is going to somehow stay here as, like, the the president of hockey ops for the foreseeable future. That's just the sense I'm getting. Maybe it goes sideways. I'm not reporting anything. That's just me hypothesizing on the situation. I don't think it's going to be Brent Flair because Brent Flair has always been Fletcher's right right-hand man and i think in addition to being the assistant gm he holds the title of like executive vice president or something some made-up title that it <laughs> seems like but maybe danny breer is not ready for the gm job maybe he gets elevated to an agm role and they could bring in like a jason botterhill or matthew darsh or someone of that nature like maybe botterhill i believe he was the assistant gm in pittsburgh if i'm not mistaken before he became gm in um in Buffalo for two years, I think it was. 
So maybe they could explore that road. And I can't see them bringing a president in, but keeping Fletcher as GM. Like that would just seem like almost in reverse, right? Like you're hiring a guy's boss after you hire him. And Fletcher would almost be getting a promotion because he would have the president of hockey up stripped from his title. So I, and I just don't see him getting fired. I really don't. Like what you're going to fire Fletcher and Brent Flair and forget Danny Breer for a second, but then bring in like a Jason Botterhill from the outside, bring in a Matsu Darsh from the outside. Like Eric Tolski, I guess is another one, but again, you're going to bring in Tolski and let him rule with an iron fist. Like, for me, even if they do bring in a new GM, whether that be Tulski or Botterhill or Darsh or Breer, whoever that may be, I just get the sense, again, just my feeling, nothing more, that Fletcher will remain as the president of Hockey Ops. I think he sticks around somehow. Yeah, um, you know, whether it's president or GM or some other <laughs> made-up role, uh, as you alluded to, I do think that he sticks around somehow. I don't think this is a guy you're you know, getting rid of, um, you know, in capacity. He seems to be here in Philadelphia for the long haul. Um, again, no matter what role it's in, but, uh, yeah, I, I would assume that Fletcher is, is here to stay in some form or fashion, um, regardless if it's GM or president or, you know, whatever the hell ends up happening, but uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. Are you comfortable with Chuck Fletcher as the GM for the foreseeable future? Yeah. I don't, I don't see why not. I, you know, I was definitely questioning him going into this off season, but then he did everything that I wanted him to do, <laughs> you know, all the moves <laughs> that he made and he definitely earned that respect. And I think looking back on it now, you know, you look at the summer of 2020 with Gustafson and whatnot and the lack of moves that are made, like, and what we know about Dave Scott and the, you know, the, the little while since, like, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, there may have been somebody else, you know, in the, the 2020 offseason. Maybe Dave Scott didn't want to spend any money because it was in the middle of a pandemic, which is understandable. But, you know, you screwed yourself. And so I think that uh, it's probably the... the um, I just completely lost my train of thought. The, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the yes, Fletcher's in there. Um, I think he's fine. I'm not overly concerned about it. I, I think he... Uh, He's the guy, as far as I'm concerned. I, I, I just don't see a better option. You know, it, it, it is the exact same thing I said when fucking AV got fired. It's like, you can fire the guy, but what the fuck do you do afterwards, right? And they clearly don't have a follow-up to that one. So, you know, you can fire Fletcher, go ahead, but the same question. What the fuck do you do when you fire Fletcher? What's next? Well, Danny Briere! And it's like, well, that doesn't seem like the best idea, you know? That doesn't seem like a step forward in the right direction. It just seems like a panic move to try and get Briere or some other team poaches him. But I don't think it's the right move for business. I think Fletcher, at least for the time being, is the right move. Anybody else is just a lateral move at absolute best. The the thing with Briere is, and I think he's a really bright guy and he has a future as a general manager in this league at some point. It's just that I think the whole Montreal thing kind of made people look at him a certain way that he was like this budding GM for on like so many teams' radar when I think that it may have just been exclusive for the Montreal situation right now. Probably. I'm talking about right yeah. now, not in the future. But again, it's because they weren't going after experienced general managers. They were going after guys who were still like in a learning progress. Like, look at the guy they hired, Kent Hughes, who went to my high school. So wow. I'm gonna do a little cheerleading dance for that. <laughs> but yeah, like he went, like he's from the Mont- he's from Montreal, but he was a player agent the last twenty years. Like this is his first kick at the can as a GM. Danny Briere is uh, the president and the governor of the Maine Mariners and works on the Flyers uh, player development uh, staff. Um, Matthew Darsh, yes, he's been an AGM, but only for a season or two at this point. So, like, they weren't going after experienced guys. The Montreal situation was a very unique one. As opposed to the other situations going around the league, I think that you would look for some more, like, not like veteran experience, but just some experience in some fold. Yeah. But even if you bring in a guy like Eric Tulski, and I think Tulski is an excellent AGM and has done a magnificent job in Carolina. Like, are you going to bring in Eric Tulski and then he's going to have, he's going to be the one guy between everyone else and Dave Scott. Like that just doesn't make sense to me. 
Yeah, it, you're not getting any better elsewhere. Um, it's just, even if you find somebody, you know, they're probably just on par with Fletcher. You know, it's a lateral move. Maybe you find somebody with a slightly different philosophy, you know, how to go about this. Maybe there's somebody that's tackled a rebuild before. But again, name one of that guy off the top of your head. I can't do it without looking it up, you know, so... I just don't see a reason to uh, to move on from him. I know the fan base is pissed and they want to yell at somebody. And I'm actually surprised how few people I've seen get angry at Mike Yao thus far. Which, yeah. well, I, I think they got burned. That's the thing. yes, yeah. I, I, I'm su- I'm surprised. <laughs> you know, so many people suggested that firing um, AV would result in just like immediate success, and that never happened. And a lot of people have not said anything about Yao, which I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by, but it means that I think they, you're right. I think they got caught and they swallowed their tongue because they, they know how hard they fought for the one guy to get fired and nothing changed. So, Well, that's exactly it. And look, like use me as an example. Like I'm not a fan whatsoever as Mike Yao as head coach, but I'm not going to sit here and clamor for him to get fired because it's not on him. And like you said, the band of misfits, misfits flanking him. Like, this isn't a coaching issue, but just because I'm saying that it's okay for me to recognize that maybe I don't think he's that great of a head coach, but two things can be true. That's the beauty of this thing. It doesn't have to be one or the other, much like on a defensive pair, one doesn't have to be good and one doesn't have to be shit. So, like, I think it is exactly what you just said, that people got burned thinking that AV was the boogeyman and he was the root of all evil here. So now they've let the coaching go and they've moved on to the upper management. Yep. So like it, they're just always looking for the one option, the thing to say like, yep, yeah, that's the issue. That's the quick fix do it. And then every, or oh, the sun will come out, the seas will part and we'll be off to the races, but it's just way more complicated than that. I think, if you want the roster changed, I think you have to keep Fletcher in place. If you really hate Chuck Fletcher and you don't give a shit about this roster and you think that they're the greatest thing you know ever <laughs> that are just held down, sure, you can fire Fletcher. But I think if you want the roster to change, regardless whether it's a teardown or rebuild, the best thing to do is keep Fletcher in place because he's here and he understands and he doesn't have to go through a learning period or a process or an assessment period, whatever the fuck you want to call it. You know, I think that is just the best case to do it. Is just keeping Fletcher, you know, in keeping, you can, I'm, listen, I don't, I don't know if Mike Yow surviving the year or not. I would assume his ties with Fletcher suggest he may, but I also don't, you know, I don't know how you can keep this guy after his shitty performance after taking over. But, uh, you know, regardless, I, I think if you want legitimate change from a front office or from a, a roster standpoint, rather, you just cannot really blame the front office right now it's just it's not going to solve anything other than just you know getting rid of this whole regime but it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense yeah that's where i'm at it's just it goes way beyond the management teams and is it not crazy how many more fucking games are left on this season last uh you know the sabers game was what the halfway point it was 41 <laughs> we still got half it's impossible to believe that it feels like we're three quarters of the way through the season already but nope half the fucking year yeah well I mean, oh my god, it's just tough to think about. And the trade deadline is still two months away. Like, everything just seems so much more drawn out for some unfortunate reason. Yeah, it's going to be a long next few months. I cannot wait for this Olympic pause, though. Things slow down. I have the back-to-back tomorrow and Tuesday against Dallas and the Islanders. What a fucking back-to-back that is. Then things slow down pretty severely then. They only play the Kings on Saturday. They have Winnipeg next week. They got you know the Red Wings, the Red Wings, two games in oh, what's that? Two weeks, three weeks, two and a half weeks. So things do slow down. They luckily the Flyers you know weren't overly affected by the uh, you know the COVID outbreak in terms of games rescheduled. There was three, and then they had to move the Detroit ones around. So they do get uh, quite a bit of time off here during the Olympic break, which is going to be good. It's a <laughs> much needed break as a fan, certainly. I could go for uh, sparse Flyers games over three weeks and kind of help uh, reset the batteries here as, you know, the, the second half of the season approaches. Soften the blow a bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give me a chance to restock some liquor. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, my God. These are getting harder. These are getting harder. <laughs> it is, it is get reaching a point where it's like, what more can I possibly yell about? You know, been yelling about the same thing 
five times a week for three years now. <laughs> Yelling a lot longer than that, uh, you know, before this show was a thing. So it's just uh, sad. Sad that we're uh, still in the same spot after all this time. Uh, and it doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. So when we do our show on Wednesday or whatever it is, we're probably going to be talking about the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it'll just be a matter of whether their losing streak is even longer. I'll bet that it will be by that point. <laughs> Two more. What's that? I mean, uh, could... 11, 13 losses straight? Wow. I mean, go out on a limb and say that they'll lose. Bold prediction. I think that's a safe bet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. I guess we'll call it a day here. And uh, let's see. This is going up, what, Monday? So we got... Uh, Shane will probably be Tuesday. Sisterly Pod Wednesday. And uh, Thursday. I guess we're doing Thursday and then a Freakin' Flyer Friday. So the back half of that Freakin' Flyer is very good. That'll be up at the end of the week. So there you go, everyone. Um, at Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Demarket 25 All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.